Guapas, and welcome back to the Ola Guapa podcast. The year is 2023. This is episode 19, and this is the very first solo episode of the Ola Guapa podcast. So I'm super excited. Hopefully, I can keep you guys entertained for the next 30 minutes at least. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Nisha Batash. I'm also the founder and creative at Ola Guapa, a digital community of 10,000 artists from all over the world a blog, a website, a podcast, and most recently, my very own small batch slow fashion line, which we're going to talk about in this episode. On this podcast, we dismantle the limiting stories and stereotypes holding creative entrepreneurs back, and together, we redefine what it truly means to be a successful artist. Now, On today's episode, what I really wanted to talk to you guys about is diving a little bit deeper into my design process. Um, For those of you who are aspiring fashion designers or textile designers or just more curious about what really goes into creating a small batch slow fashion line, I'm here to kind of break it all down from a high level and just explain my process and my experience. The very first thing I did when deciding that this was the route that I wanted to take with my business was research and development. So knowing that I wanted it to be fashion, knowing that I wanted it to be really geared around prints and knowing that we were at the time in the the peak and the height of COVID, I wanted to focus on activewear. The reason why was because I felt like all the activewear that I was purchasing, knowing that that's sort of what I was living in during that time was all black, gray, and just kind of like blah, like the situation felt super bleak. I wanted to feel like I was getting dressed up and felt like a fashionista and felt like a diva. And I wanted to feel expressive while wearing activewear. And because I couldn't find it, I felt like no better route forward than to create it. So what I did first and foremost in the phase of research and development was look at all of my activewear. What was I loving about it? What was I hating about it? Um, What felt like that perfect silhouette or that perfect fabric? And what I landed on was the idea of this buttery, soft, dreamy activewear fabric that featured a bright, bold pattern and had the most flattering silhouette that kind of hugged you in in all the right places and felt relaxed enough in all the right places. We all know those places that I'm talking about. And really, really kind of had that overall effect where you felt confident, you felt like you felt self-expressive, you felt like the best version of yourself, whether or not you were, you know, strutting your stuff out on the street. So it was kind of that like day to night Um, vision that I had for the collection where you could pair your workout legging with a hot pink booty and go out if you wanted to. But you could also then throw it on with a sneaker the next morning and hit the gym or, you know, maybe pair it with a relaxed cardigan or pullover. And next thing you know, you're at the studio and you're creating. So I really wanted activewear that could live with you in every phase of life, depending on how you styled it and how you accessorized it, which is really the fun part. So after kind of taking all the pieces from my collection and from what I owned and figuring, making an assessment, I started drawing. 
I took out my iPad. The app that I use is called Procreate. If you're not familiar and you have an iPad, I definitely recommend downloading it and playing around, looking up YouTube videos. Um, it's a super fun app and very, very versatile and super user-friendly. Um, and I think that the learning curve is really low, at least for me, because I still ver feel very much like a, a beginner. Um, and on this app, I designed the print. So I did um, a hand drawing of a marble pattern, which took forever simply because of all of the organic shapes and the way that it works when you design a pattern is that from one side, so from the left side to the right side, it has to be, it has to align perfectly. Um, we can dive a little bit more into the process around pattern making later, but just know that it was extremely time consuming. And looking back, I probably would have chosen a different print to start with, but it taught me a lot and it really helped me kind of explore the app and all the different tools and all the different features of Procreate. So I designed my pattern on there, my print, and then I also designed um, each of the silhouettes. So again, kind of taking all the different elements that I loved about the activewear that I owned and then making tweaks and adjusting to find, um, to create and design and develop more feminine versions of them. There was definitely some kind of trial and error here. <laughs> um, definitely some designs got drawn up that got tossed out. Um, and then obviously we landed on the final seven silhouettes and those are the ones that I decided to move forward with. So just to kind of recap up until this point, my first step is research and development, pulling from um, products and pieces that I already own. And then the second phase is going to be design. So drawing up those silhouettes and those shapes and creating that digital hand-drawn print. The next couple of steps in my process happen simultaneously. So I'm going to try to simplify it. Let's start with the fabric. So first I needed to source a um, digital printer. I knew that that's how I wanted to get how to print my fabric. It's a very current modern way of turning a hand-drawn piece of artwork and scaling it up or scaling it down to be printed on fabric. Um, you can get really vibrant colors this way, which was super important for me to make sure that everything was really, really bright and bold. Um, so I found a local printer and worked with him to basically source the fabric itself. So that white yardage, that white fabric, and get, make sure that I had the right um, thickness, make sure that I had the right fabrication, make sure that it was going to be co that comfortable, buttery, soft sort of fabric that I was really craving. And when I found it, I knew that it was the perfect fabric. You just kind of know, like even from sifting through these little swatches, you can kind of test it out on your leg or your arm. You can hold it up. Um, and just the feel and the weight of it felt perfect. So once I selected that, I ordered um, yardage enough to do a sample run of the print. So I believe that the factory that I worked with, their minimum was five yards. So had five yards printed and um, had it checked, right? So like you really want to then kind of inspect and that's when it becomes fun because it becomes really real. You get to see your hand-drawn print at scale on the fabric that you're selecting and you get to make an assessment. Is it the right fabric after all? Is it the right print? Does it need to scale down so that the print is tighter and smaller? Or do we want to scale up so it's bigger and bolder? 
Um, those are all decisions that you get to make at that stage in the process. And that's kind of on the fabric side of things. At the same time, on the design side of things, I met with a pattern maker. So her job is to take those drawings that I had and any um, examples of different product that I had that I was referencing together and create an all new entire silhouette and draft them onto patterns. So patterns is basically what your, your cutter is then going to use to basically trace to cut out the different shapes that then get sewed together to become the end garment. So she, I met with her for about an hour um, and we went over just to verify all measurements, all details. What kind of hem did I want? What kind of stitch did I want? Um, what was the actual length on this? Um, using a measuring tape and using a bodice and kind of using these um, real life um, tools that were helping us get closer and closer to aligning my vision with the patterns that she was ultimately going to create. This step is super crucial in the design process because it basically sets you up and the rest of everything else that comes after this, it's the foundation. Um, so the closer you can get to actualizing your vision at this stage and communicating really clearly, the better off you're going to be at every step after this because you're going to have less revisions. So we met, we went over all of the different details. She took notes on everything. You definitely want to make sure you have a pattern maker who takes notes. If they're not, that would be a red flag. Um, and then I left and she got to work on the patterns. When I picked up the patterns, the next step was to drop them off at a digitizer. So this was a step that was new to me. Um, and I don't know what, how, how common the profession of digitizing patterns is um, in the industry at large. I'm sure there's plenty out there, but it was super important to me to do everything local. And based on my research and my outreach and my networking and just having conversations with different creatives in San Diego, there was one digitizer that I knew that I needed to work with. And she's been doing this for years and years and years. And the process of digitizing is basically just what it sounds like. Taking the paper patterns that my pattern maker had designed based on all of the conversations that we've had and the drawings that I drew and turning them into a digital file. From there, that allows her to make sure that all of the measurements are correct. Um, all of the different details that go into construction, that those are marked out correctly. And something important to note is that I have, I communicate with my pattern maker that we're going to be working from a size medium. That's my size. And so because I'm the fit model and I want to be trying everything on and trying on all the samples and making sure that each little piece of it fits perfectly, I want to design for my size. Um, could be very different for other designers. Maybe they have fit models who are sample size, or maybe they're designing for a different um, size range. And so they might have a different sort of version of, of events. Um, so let's see here. So after everything goes to the digitizer, she prints on basically a large piece of paper um, the first sample pattern. And what's really important to note at this stage is 
Working with a digitizer who's very conscious of sustainability and fabric waste. For me, working with this digitizer was really important to communicate that because that's a huge piece of sustainability, right? And that's when we talk about the fashion industry being so wasteful. Something that can kind of fall by the wayside in the design process is not being conscientious of waste, especially if you're working with inexpensive fabrics or inexpensive processes or really, really large minimums. We can we can tend to forget about fabric waste in the process. So we wanted to make sure that each piece, think of it as a puzzle, was kind of as snug to the piece next to it as possible. Like I mentioned, that's all printed out on one large piece of fabric, which then gets taken to the fabric cutter. So now I have my five yards of sample fabric printed and my sample pattern digitized and printed. And I'm taking both of those pieces to the fabric cutter. So he is going to roll out the fabric, roll out those five yards, and then roll out that paper on top of it. And what it sounds exactly like what it, what it, what this phase is, he's going to cut the sample pattern. So it's almost like kindergarten when you trace something and cut it out. That's exactly what's happening. Um, you kind of start in this sample phase to think about production. So as he's cutting, um, this is sampling is the most expensive phase of the process for sure by far. Um, at least for me, right? We're just kind of talking about my experience. I'm sure many different designers and different fashion brands have all different kinds of experiences. But what I have heard consistently and what was true for me is that sampling is the most expensive part. Because when we move into production, what sampling allows is your fabric cutter and your whoever is going to be doing the production, so the sewing, they're going to be able to communicate to you what your sample cost is, and then what your um, what your production cost is. So that's kind of how you start to evaluate what it's actually going to cost you when you move into production. And usually your sample cost is going to be like five, six, seven, eight times that cost, if not more. So this is why you want to make sure that from the very beginning, when you're communicating with your pattern maker, that everything is as detail oriented and as close to how you're envisioning it as possible um, because you're going to have to sample less and less and less. What I learned is that the average silhouette or design goes through seven rounds of sampling. So thinking about that with different um, companies who are maybe in the United States and working, let's say they're getting all of their production done in China, thinking about even just the cost and the waste and Everything that would go into shipping back and forth, shipping those samples back and forth, having a fit model, try them on in the States, making revisions, and then sending it back or having that that production factory send another sample. So that's just something to consider too, kind of a side tangent. So when I, after I had my cutter cut the um, the sample pattern pieces, I'm really lucky because he it, his operation is set up directly next door to my production house. 
So in some instances, you might have to pick up your cut pattern pieces and bring them to the production house or whoever you're working with on the production side of things. In some instances, those you might work with a production house who does both things, who does cutting and who does sewing. Um, so again, like this is just my process, but there's a lot of different iterations to this. At this stage, everything gets brought over to the production house and we start getting ready to th sew everything up. So I picked a thread color, which initially I thought I wanted to go with neon pink, but very quickly realized that women do not want seams in certain places that are going to highlight or accentuate those parts of their body. And they especially don't want them in neon pink. So we opted for a light pink, which I think worked really well with kind of the pastel tones in the print. So you might get the option to choose your thread color, um, or that might just be something that the production house chooses for you if you don't have a preference. Typically, they'll choose whatever the primary color in your print or your fabric is, if not try to color match it. Um, so from there, we had another brief little meeting. Again, always really a good idea to continue having like super clear conversations from those initial meetings and the initial phases versus just kind of assuming that they understand what your vision is and then having to make multiple rounds of uh, edits and revisions. So from here, I got the um, all the initial samples sewn up in my size, brought them home, tried them on, and noticed some of the revisions that I wanted to make. So maybe something was too tight in a certain spot, or maybe the bra strap on the bra top had to be a little bit wider. Maybe the fabric didn't fall perfectly the way that I wanted to, or a tie was too long, too short. Um, so all of those changes I took note on and reported back to the digitizer. So the digitizer goes into her computer where she has all of your patterns digitized and she adds an inch or decreases um, a seam allowance by an inch or whatever the change is that needs to be made. Maybe the armpit's too low or too high or the arm, the sleeve is too tight. Whatever those changes are, she's making those changes now to the sample pattern in the computer. So those changes are now with your pattern piece for the rest of time. You continue that cycle until you get the sample perfectly the way that you want it. I definitely wouldn't rush or feel any desperation around this phase because you want so badly to say, okay, the sample's approved, let's move into production. But you also need to make sure that all the details are right. Because once you move into production, you're going to have a large amount of all of those um, items and garments that ultimately you're going to need to sell. And so it'll be too late at that point to think, oh, I should have made that longer or tighter or looser. So honestly, I would have your friends try them on. I would have your friends look at them depending on their opinions, right? So like vet who you want to be a part of this process. Um, but really making sure that it's exactly the way that you want it. So whether that involves outside opinion or that's just you kind of being in a silo with your own work totally up to you once um all the samples are approved you're going to communicate that to the digitizer and then she is going to do what's called grading so i had 
extra small, small, medium, large, extra large. So you now have with the digitizer, you have all of your different styles in all of your different sizes. So this is what I'm talking about when you want to get everything perfect in that sampling phase, because every change that you make now needs to be applied to all of these different styles and all of these different sizes. If you make any changes after this point. Um, so once you have these printed patterns of all styles in all sizes, you are going to take that and your full production run of your printed fabric to the cutter. And now one thing I forgot to mention is when you're in the sampling phase, you're really going to be thinking about production. So you want to be talking about your yield, meaning how much yardage do I need in order to produce however many garments I want? Um, you're also going to be talking about pricing, right? So like we talked about sampling is the most expensive phase. So as you move into production, what pricing makes sense for what minimums? A lot of production houses will require a minimum purchase amount or production amount. Um, and that'll really determine cost for a lot of things too. So you want to be having all of these conversations with each person along the way and ask a ton of questions. Once you're in that production phase, you should already know your yield. You should already know your cost um, and any other expenses that production might entail. Something to think about is also the additional, when, we're, when you're talking about pricing, is the additional kind of add-ons that you might not be thinking about from the jump. So thinking about things like tags, right? Um, who's going to make the tag? Is it going to be a heat press? Is it going to be a woven? Is it going to be a satin? Is your production house going to sew that in then in that case? Um, and if so, you'll need to have all of that ready to go by the time you move into production. Um, another thing to think about is packaging, right? So hang tags, thank you cards. Um, if you're going to be using tissue paper, um, if you're going to be using any like sustainable or recyclable packaging, you know, where are you going to get all that sourced from? Who's going to, if, do you want it to be colorful? If so, who's going to design that? Is it going to be you? What are you going to outsource versus what are you going to do yourself? So thinking about all of those and all the different tools um, and skill sets that you might need to develop those if you do choose to do them yourself and therefore maybe the time or the learning curve that it might take to get up to speed on all those tools. So these are just kind of like little reminders, you know, things that you can be working on simultaneously while production is happening. Um, and that's kind of how I was working as I would think about it in these phases. And once one phase was complete, it allowed me the mind space and the breathing room to kind of start thinking about the next phase. Um, but looking back, I think if I had planned out each step of the way and worked on things even more simultaneously, um, I could have probably moved through things a lot quicker. So because this was my first real production run um, and my experience working with all of these different people, um, it took a little bit longer. And I think with COVID in order to find the right people, it took a little bit longer. Um, but I will say that partnering with factories and with production houses that have happy employees that are treating their employees well and that are really working ethically and treating their their workers ethically 
is super important. Um, so I wouldn't half step that decision-making at all. It will bite you in the butt if you choose to take any shortcuts at any stage in this process. So for me, um, my production house said that it was going to take about a month to get everything sewn up. Um, Could take longer, could take shorter, depending on different lead times. Something that I would recommend is also asking your production house about deposits. Um, Are they going to be expecting money up front? Is it cash on delivery? Do you have net 30, net 60? Like, What are the terms for payment? Um, Something that I did was... I used those approved samples, so just the one piece, to shoot um, images that would then go on my website. So those were the final approved pieces, but I hadn't even yet placed the order for production, right? And got everything up on the website, wrote all my product descriptions, which I honestly love and have a ton of fun doing. Um, And we can dive into that in another episode as well. But um got everything set up all on my website. I use Shopify. I love it. Super user-friendly. They have an amazing 24-7 support. Um, Would highly, highly recommend them if you're looking to open an online or an e-commerce shop. And once everything was online, I placed it and I made it available for pre-order. So thinking about this strategically, and this is also really another way that you can create a line or I chose to create my line that had this element of sustainability to it um, because I was able to gauge interest on which pieces, which styles, which sizes were the most popular. So making something available for pre-order allows you to kind of collect data before you place your final order. So while you're having those conversations in sampling phases and in production phases, this is really where you're going to want to like focus, super hyper focus in on your audience and what they're telling you. And the way that they're communicating is through pre-orders. So you can offer um, a sale while you do a pre-order. So anybody who places an order at a cert- at, during that pre-sale phase gets a certain percentage off. Um, or you can just sell it at regular price. And again, like putting it out there for people to see the entire collection, but not yet having placed that production order, or maybe the production order is already in process and you're just able to gauge interest. So yeah, so that kind of sums up my design process from start to finish. Um, If you guys have any questions, I would love to know what you're curious about. I would love to know what kind of topics or what phases of this design cycle um, you're, I can expand on. I would love to dive into this a little bit deeper. Um, One of the philosophies that I have and is just being super transparent and really communicating my process so that others can learn from it. So if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out, um, send them my way, and maybe we'll do a part two and dive a little bit deeper into answering some of your questions about the design cycle. Um, Again, as I mentioned, this was really just personal to me. So obviously I'm not saying that this is how it's done across the board, Um, but this is what really worked for me. This is the cycle that I will continue to use as I design and create new collections. 
So hope you guys enjoy and I hope you have a fabulous rest of your week. And we have four amazing episodes already recorded with badass women from all different sectors of the creative industry. We have a global creative strategist from Pinterest and Amazon. We have a TikTok fashionista who has super avant-garde style. She's been featured in Vogue and Elle has over a million followers and everything in between. So we're going to talk all different aspects of the creative industry in our upcoming episodes and for the rest of the year of 2023. And I'm super excited. Can't wait to dive in and share more with you guys. Adios, guapas.